Let us turn in God's word to the first epistle of John and chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and we read from verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him, Because he first loved us. In this passage, the Apostle John says in verse 16, God is love. You notice this is not a description of God loving, it is rather a definition. Of him. Love. Not what he is like, but what he is. Love is God's nature and essence. And that is why this expression is put differently from how his other attributes are expressed. For instance, we read that God is wise, not God is wisdom. God is holy, but not God is holiness. He is merciful, but not mercy. Of course, he he is those, those things as well, but it's expressed differently. Here, not only that God is loving, but God is love, love itself. Edward Payson puts it like this. His whole nature and essence is love. His will, his works, his words are love. He is nothing and can do nothing but love. And you see that it goes further here in verse 16 where it says, The love that God hath to us. Now, this includes you, if you are a Christian. And this statement, if that love that God is comes to us, well, it must mean, therefore, that it has come in a way that is an expression of God himself. In Hosea 14, verse 4, he puts it like this, I will Love them freely. And so God, whose nature is love, this is the spontaneous outflowing of that love, that coming of God in his nature 
all undeserved to us and unreserved because there's no limit to it. This love that God hath to us. And you notice if God is love, then it's so closely equated with God so that you can say that the love that God has for us is as infinite as God himself. It's the same as his very being. And there is no limit, no bounds. You can't circumscribe it. It's so vast, infinite as God himself who fills heaven and earth. And it's as unchanging as himself. God in his nature is immutable, incapable of changing. And the love of God he has for his people, loved with an everlasting love from eternity and all through time and to eternity, that is unchanging. Never more at certain times, never less at other times, but always the same. Equated with God, having come to us. And moreover, it's something, dear friends, that we can taste because you have it in verse 18 where we read that there is no fear in this love, but this perfect love casteth out fear. It's the experiential comfort of God's love to us. And it's something that is so wonderful. And again, you see, God is perfect in his nature. His love is perfect, like himself. And this love does something to us. It means that it is encouraging and comforting. What kind of Christian specifically is this love for? Well, three times in verse 18, you have fear, and again, fear, and then uh, feareth. And so it's designed to address this whole question of our being afraid and our doubts and fears that arise. The emotion of fear is real, but the love of God that is perfect to us is real. And if that is felt, then it casteth out fear. And the two cannot exist together in us. And so let us look at this subject this morning. The perfect love of God to us that casts out fear. Let's look first of all at our fears. He that feareth. And we'll look at some different kinds of fears that we are subject to and we struggle with. And then secondly, not only our fears, but God's love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear and so on. Let us look then at our fears. Now this can be Real, very real, for some of the Lord's people, if not all, at certain times. That word feareth is the Greek word phobos, 
where we get our English word phobia from. And also you've got that word uh, torment there as well in verse 18. Now what are the tormenting fears that we are beset with? That we need so much of that perfect love to deal with. Well, one of them is spoken of here in verse 17 regarding the day of judgment. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. If our sense of God's love is all that it should be, it emboldens us to think that All will be well on that great day. As Christ is, so are we in this world, clothed in his righteousness, will stand complete on that day. No fears. And yet, dear friends, is that really the case? Boldness in the day of judgment. Jude, verse 24, puts it even more strongly and says that we might stand before him at that day with exceeding joy. And yet, for many of the Lord's people, it's rather torment in the apprehension of it. The lack of assurance. That word torment is the same same word as in Matthew 25, verse 46, everlasting punishment. And some of the Lord's children are sometimes afraid that it still might be true that when I'm found on that great day, I shall be found on the wrong side. And I've been deceived all this time, afraid to die, afraid to enter eternity, afraid in thinking about that great day of the Lord that's coming when we stand before him in judgment, worrying and distressing. He that feareth. And that is ironic, isn't it? Because unbelievers have no fear of death by and large and no fear of judgment because they are so hardened in unbelief that these things are not real to them. And so they can die cheerfully very often and not bother about any coming day of judgment. I say that is ironic They are not afraid when they should be. We are afraid sometimes when we needn't be. He that feareth. Is that you this morning in your sober, serious, thoughtful moments? After all, how will I do in the swelling of Jordan? And then a second fear is this, lack of godly confidence. He that feareth, there's that verse, Hebrews 10, 22, let us draw near in full assurance of faith because Christ has opened the way. He has rent the veil in twain. The way into the holiest is, is made manifest by the gospel, by his finished work. We have access unto the Father through faith in him. Let us draw near then in full assurance of faith concerning that. And yet, 
We don't always have that confidence in coming to God. Our shyness in prayer is a testimony to that. And our somehow our being disinclined to pray is a testimony to that. We don't have the confidence in coming to God. Or if we do come to God and try to be confident, we can feel guilty and unworthy. Like that verse, chapter 3 and verse 20 of this epistle. Our heart condemn us. There was a character, is a character in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress called Mr. Fearing. And he is described as one who doubted of his acceptance. He had a slough of despond in his own mind. Very uh, discouraged about himself and lacking the confidence, the gospel confidence, the liberty to come before God whenever he prayed and whenever he saw his position in respect to God. This lack of godly confidence. Is that how you are at times? He that feareth. Or thirdly, when grace seems too good to be true, at least of me, that God should love me freely and undeservingly, that God should lavish his infinite heart upon me as his object, that I should be swallowed up in this everlasting love of God and brought home to one who is my heavenly father who only ever loves me, Too good to be true, still a bit like Adam and Eve, who hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden and said when God questioned them, I was afraid. We live under a sense of a frowning God. We have a view of God that is not as revealed in Scripture and not as assured us in the Gospel and in everywhere in God's Word, but somehow God is not pleased. Somehow there's a shadow over our spirit and we tend to do things legalistically in the hope that God might be pleased with me. We tend to do things slavishly, a servile spirit. It disturbs our peace. It prevents our peace. It robs us of joy. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 It is the spirit of fear. And that can somehow come over us. We can lose sight, you see, of the revealed character of God and all the assurances of his love and his wondrous grace in Christ. And we can have a wrong view. Sometimes hard thoughts of God, unworthy thoughts of God that dishonor him and distress us. But sometimes we struggle With these things. And we mistake his intentions. Mistake how he is toward us. Some years ago. When our children were small. We were returning from some place. And we were making our way back to Devizes in those days. And 
we thought that we'd stop at a fish and chip shop and have some tea before we got home. And there was at that time uh, a very busy fish and chip shop at the bottom of Devizes Road on the left-hand side as you go up. I don't know if it's still there now or still open, but anyway, there was a pull-in just in front of the chippy and uh, we, we pulled in. Trouble was, of course, it was double yellow lines and a bus stop and things, and, but we thought we'd risk it. So we pulled in uh, and then uh, just about to get out when a police car pulled in behind us to the same lay-by. And my heart sank, and I thought, oh no. Policeman got out with a look of anticipation on his face and came toward us. Nearer and nearer, I was just about to open the car door. And he walked straight past and went into the fish and chip shop himself. (laughs) And I thought, no need to feel guilty, not at all. But you see, we feel guilty under the smile of a gracious God and think that he is against us and he's going to deal with us and he's not pleased and we get it all wrong. Grace seems too good to be true. And then one more. He that feareth gloomy forebodings, general unspecific things perhaps. What may happen in life? The future And we can imagine all kinds of things. And then they do get specific. My loved one, if he or she dies, I lose my job, can't support my family. The children's future, grandchildren growing up in a world like this. What if illness should come? The way the world is going. And we can feel insecure, nervous, pessimistic. It often often happens in our middle years and beyond. Perhaps some of us look back to the days when we were very young and how carefree we felt back then. How slowly the time passed. And we look to the future and look forward to things. And even when the children were small and we seemed to be in charge and life seemed uncomplicated and all went smoothly by and large. And then the years pass and the changes take place and there become the difficulties and the struggles, perhaps the unwelcome things that come. And time seems to move very quickly then. And it's not long before we've got more past than we have future. But what about the future? And we can become depressed and unhappy and fearing the worst, maybe, that whatever might happen. And the devil takes advantage of this. And he can be so persuasive in the scenarios he brings to our minds and They rest heavy on our spirit. It's almost oppressive sometimes what we're thinking about and what we're struggling to 
get free of. One of the church catechisms speaks of that experience as our ghostly enemy. And if we have a rather melancholy temperament, it becomes particularly acute. And there is that fear that is almost torment, torments the mind. And we robs us of the joy of life and of living. Can't see much good that can come. He that feareth our fears. These things are very real. And these things are all part of living and heart and real religion. And anyone who doesn't have any of these things ever, it's questionable if they've ever been born again because regeneration brings us into the spiritual realm and spiritual experiences. And therefore, we're, uh, we're, we're the objects of spiritual attacks and the way the devil gets the better of us sometimes The unbelievers, they're not so subject to these things. Or if they are, they they have their own resort, their own refuge, which lasts for a while. But we have them more acutely because we're in a realm that is challenged by the power of darkness. So our fears. Let's look now, secondly, at God's love. And notice the wording, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Now, how does God's perfect love help us here? Well, think about the love itself. There is no fear in love. Now, we understand this on a human level, don't we? If someone loves you, you're not afraid of them. Whoever is afraid of a loved one, warmth, acceptance, kindness, goodness, fills you with warmth and makes you aglow. There's no fear in that. Someone who's malignant and unloving may do you harm. But not someone who loves you. But you see, God is love. And is nothing but love to us. Anything other would be alien to his nature. If I may put it reverently, he is incapable of being anything other than that God of love. What's there to fear? In that. Someone might say, ah, but what about the fear of God? Well, that's not incompatible with this. The fear of the Lord means childlike reverence toward Him and careful obedience. It's not being afraid of God, it's completely consistent with the enjoyment of His love. If you are so aware that he loves you like this, you are are fearing to displease him, fearing to grieve his heart. And you are very concerned that you might honour and glorify him. It's the concern, the reverence toward his being and his person and his glory 
And like a child respecting a wonderful father, only wanting to do what is right and fearful of doing what is otherwise. That is the fear of God. And it goes together with his love. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. So that's one thing then. The love itself. My dear friend, you are the object of all the love of God and nothing else. And you have nothing to fear. And then again, God's satisfaction concerning us. This is important to see. That God is satisfied with what he has done for us as sinners. And therefore can love us. In Isaiah 27 verse 4 he says, Fury is not in me. That is no longer because the full force of God's holy wrath fell upon Christ our substitute when he died on the cross and paid the price of our sins. And the fury of the Lord poured out there upon Calvary and our Lord finishing the work and made a full atonement for our sins and full satisfaction to the justice of God so that mercy might flow unopposed and God has honorably pardoned and received us into favor and his perfect work in the the redemption through Christ has received us and so we can read in Zephaniah 3 and verse 17 he will rest in his love fury wrath judgment punishment all gone our saviour has borne it away and God is propitious God is favour goodwill peace love In Hebrews 13 and verse 20, the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Because the God of wrath put him to death for us, punished him for our sins instead of us. And the God of peace raises him from the dead. And now he is the God who rests in his love to us. Literally, Zephaniah 3 verse 17 in the margin, be silent in his love. Where is there anything to be afraid of in this? Are you silent and at rest in the bosom of God? He's at rest concerning you. He's got nothing against you. There is no unfinished business. No sins left behind. Nothing that the Saviour's work hasn't covered and hasn't dealt with forever. Finished, he said. Silent, says God. It's done. Nothing but peace, nothing but love, nothing but satisfaction. And that's a great comfort, isn't it? 
And so 2 Corinthians 13 verse 11. The God of love and peace shall be with you. It's a love that's made peace. And is content. And you can be at peace and be content as well. It's God's satisfaction concerning us. No fear in love. And thirdly, in God's love, God's love is like himself. And therefore, it's perfect love. Matthew 6, verse 48. Your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And you think about that. A love that is perfect, pure, flawless, ideal, total, consummate, complete goodwill and kindness toward us. Too good to be true? Rather, it is good and it is true. What is there to fear in perfect love? If we're not afraid of someone who loves us, we're not going to be afraid of someone who perfectly loves us. God's love, like himself. And dear friends, it means too that he will only do perfect things for us. Is that a thought? What might God do? What might God do to me? What might he expect of me? What's ahead? What's coming up in the future? Well, look, perfect love, Psalm 18, verse 30, as for God, his way is perfect. Consistent with that perfect love. Perfect love lies behind all his unfolding providence. And you cannot improve upon perfection, can you? Whatever he does, exactly as it should be. You can't ever say, well, if we could tweak it, that would be perfect. Or if we could add something here, that would make it just right. Or maybe take away some element of it, then it would be all that could be desired. Perfect love. Never should a Christian ever say concerning something that's happened in life, I could do without this. That's what the world says. My dear friend, you cannot do without this. I cannot do without this. If it is the perfect way of God resulting from his perfect love. Or the world might say, oh, if only. If only I could. Uh. Yeah, but there is no if only with God. What is so is so. It is perfect way. And he maketh your way perfect as we sang in Psalm 18. Or we should never say like the world does, what if? Oh, what, one of these what ifs. What if I had done so and so instead? What if this had happened as an alternative, not now as it is? What if? Well, you can perhaps thoughtfully speculate, but not by making any reflection upon what is. Because what is is the perfect love of God reflecting uh, the perfect way that he takes with us. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4. He is the rock. 
his work is perfect. If I may say something personal, right back in 2001, when Margaret had her first cancer diagnosis, I remember well that day coming away from the office in the cancer centre there and us sitting in the car and my staring at the dashboard of the car, taking it in, as you do. And the verse that came to me at the time was, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. And it was that comfort, perfect love, there can be no harm. This can't be wrong. Although it's hard to take humanly, whatever happens, all will be well. Perfect. Perfect love. Something to rest in. And something that kept us in those days until now. Perfect things. You can only admire the way of God that is perfect. Humanly speaking, you could want something different. What's perfect in our eyes. But that would be imperfect. Wouldn't be good. Wouldn't be the best. What's perfect in his eyes is what's best, what's right. Perfect love. And its effect casteth out fear. How can there be room for fear when we view God like this? Literally, it reads in the original, fear is not in love. You see, they are mutually exclusive, aren't they? Fear and love, like oil and water. You can't have them together. They're incompatible. And when a sense of God's perfect love fills the heart, you can't have the fear as well. It casts it out. And the word, the phrase casts out is very strong. Expels. It's not that the sense of God's perfect love in whatever happens dilutes the fear. It's that you can't have the two together. Where God's love is, fear departs as the light drives away the darkness. Calvin puts it like this. The love of God, really known, tranquilizes the heart, keeps it in peace. My dear friend, the God of love does not want you to be afraid. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. For God hath not given to us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. It's interesting there. God has not given to us the spirit of fear. Sometimes when God forbids something, he says, thou shalt not. And at other times when it's just 
as surely forbidden, he says, God has not given it to you. He doesn't want you to have it. It's not for you. God hath not given to us the spirit of fear. It's not his will. And so therefore we are happily released from the obligation of being like that. No, not the spirit of fear from the devil, but the Holy Spirit, the comforter of power and of love, bringing God's perfect love to the heart and of a sound mind. You've got it in Romans 8 and verse 15. We have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear Now that was what happened when we were under conviction of sin, wasn't it? The Holy Spirit came to to reprove us of sin, to convince us of sin, righteousness and judgment, that we may flee to the cross and flee to the Saviour, flee to him from the wrath to come. When the Spirit convicted us, we were in bondage, we felt bound over to the wrath of God, the judgment of God. We needed to be saved. But you've not received that now as a Christian. That's over with. Not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But the spirit of adoption. You're God's child now. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father, who loves us. And so, perfect love casts out fear. Luke 1 verse 74 That we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. So as I close, let us not fail to see this. Because he that feareth is not made perfect in love. That is, if we're still having problems, this has not become clear to us. We need to receive it experientially. And the Lord Jesus does this for us. In 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 5, the apostle, like a benediction, he says, And the Lord, the Lord Jesus, direct your hearts into the love of God. You notice, not direct your minds, although of course you must have the understanding taught of God, but direct your hearts into the love of God because it's what we want to feel in our heart isn't it then it will cast out the fear that's in our heart our Lord says in John 16 verse 26 and 27 verse 27 particularly he says the father himself loveth you I love you but don't think it's just me And then I've got to somehow intercede with the Father and make him love you as well. No, no. The Father himself loveth you because ye have believed that I have come out from God. Be assured of this. It's the perfect love that casts out fear. Fears are so real. But the perfect love of God can be so real, more real, to deal with them. In the Geneva Bible, there are annotations or notes uh, supplied by the translators. And at this verse, there's this 
nice little statement against 1 John 4 verse 18. That we may well gather peace and quietness by this. That we may, may well gather peace and quietness by this. Can you gather peace and quietness? That's the purpose of these words. Fears are real in a fallen, sinful world. And we, with our remaining sin and all our frailties, but oh, the love that God has to us. No fear in it. Cast out fear. May it be so. For the glory of his name. Amen.